Welcome to Chromosphere, the color theory podcast. My name is Ed Charbonneau. I am an artist whose main focus is on painting, and I am also an adjunct faculty member in the Fine Arts Department at the Minneapolis College of Art and Design. This podcast presents a series of conversations about color, color usage, and optics as they relate to theories of human color perception in the making of visual art and design. Hello, and welcome to season three of uh, Chromosphere, the Color Theory Podcast. It's uh, October of 2023, and for this season, I plan to release a new episode on the second Tuesday of each month. So set your color wheels to the second Tuesday of each month. I, in this season, I plan to do several interviews with different people that I've uh, met or have known for a long time related to uh, color theory. And my first interview here is with uh, Jeremy Shapinsky and um, also have put on my website, I have a page devoted to the podcast, and I've created a page showing Jeremy's artwork and his bio and a little bit of information, more information about Jeremy, if you'd like to look that up. And the link for that will be in the show notes for this episode. So check that out. So yes, thanks for listening, and here's my conversation with Jeremy. Uh, welcome to uh, Chromosphere, the Color Theory Podcast. Season three, uh, my guest today is Jeremy Shapinsky. How would I describe you to our viewers? Jeremy and I have shared a studio since... 1996? I want to say the six. Yeah. Yeah, 96. We met in college, art college. We both went to the College of Visual Arts, which used to be in St. Paul. Mm-hmm. And got a stu- studio when we were there, and then we're now in a st- our new studio that we just moved into this past May uh, in St. Paul. So this is like the fourth place we've been over the years. Uh, Roberts Hamilton, Lighthouse Bay, Vandalia, Dow Building, Dow Building. And now the Brotex Building. The Brotex Building <coughs> in St. Paul. So you can Google that, all the fans of Chromosphere, the Color Theory Podcast. <laughs> If you want to get an idea where we're at. Jeremy is a painter. Yeah, painter with a strong printmaking background. I worked at Studio on Fire, which is a letterpress printing shop in St. Paul for quite a while. And took a lot of printmaking classes in school. Yeah, Yeah, and you went to graduate school. At Pratt in Brooklyn. Brooklyn. A Pratt man. Pratt. Yeah, and when was that? Was that that was? It was two thousand eight to two thousand ten. Oh, okay. So yeah, a while ago. Wow. Now. Yeah, and then so in the time that I've known you, when we were in school, you were mainly portraiture was your main mm-hmm. interest and focus, and worked with that for like like a decade or or longer. Yeah, quite a while. And then got into abstraction. Yep, that was after grad school. They kind of yeah drained all the all the life out of me (laughs) and so and most recently like during the pandemic you started painting landscapes 
yeah, I, we bought a cabin in Wisconsin or bought a share of a cabin in Wisconsin during the pandemic. And I didn't know what I was doing really. So I just, I don't, I've always wanted to do plain air painting. So use that as an opportunity to start painting landscapes. And it happens, I mean, it kind of happens to fit well into the abstract work I do. Right. It's very similar if you take out the imagery. Yeah, I haven't really done many large paintings of this ilk yet. (laughs) Now with our new studio, we have more room. Yeah, because we're sitting here in our studio surrounded by these paintings. They're, They're all kind of, what would you say, small to medium scale, like... Uh, one foot by one foot to maybe two, maybe the largest one is three feet. You know, this being a color theory topic podcast, the color is very striking in these. And the idea of the abstraction, pure abstraction per se, having no real subject, to now you have trees and water. And you had mentioned that you see like a direct connection between the two. I'm I'm basically using the same colors I did in my abstractions. I've configured differently, I would say. Right. And but the same kind of strategies for coming up with colors. Yeah, the same like, kind of brush marks. Yeah. Applications. Not really. I don't know. Like I don't really use a lot of green, or you know, it's not like I'm making green trees now. Because I've always hated the color green. So. Yeah, the landscape <laughs> painter that doesn't use the color green. <laughs> so whatever I can do to avoid using green, I... Maybe if we had do. a show together, we could call it Towards Zero Green. <laughs> <laughs> or I could have all green paintings. Yes. Well, you're starting a green painting. That's true. So I didn't even I realize. We'll yeah. have to see how that works. Right, because it, it is... I mean, if it's an abstraction or if it's a tree or a picture of... Uh, the sky it's almost like the like a puzzle if it's just thrown outside of the box and all the pieces are just laying around yeah you essentially have an abstraction but if you put them together you have a representation of the same but it's all the same colors right yeah exactly like i'm still figuring it out right now but i use it like a lot of weird oranges and there's a lot of blue sky i kind of use that a lot a lot of the other other colors are kind of tend toward the weird i would i would hopeful yeah I'd say. <laughs> the weird <laughs> to me it's always struck me like the transparency that you're working with so you you're using a lot of the more synthetic transparent colors yeah, aren't you? pretty much exclusively like if i need to make an opaque color i'll mix in white but yeah it's mostly like i use a lot of uh transparent orange gamblin manganese blue is a favorite i just got a bunch of transparent earth colors that are really cool analogs to like burnt umber and raw sienna and all those part of my process is like having a really smooth white surface to work on like with a transparent color you can get a variety in the color just by painting on the white where you have where there's less paint the color's lighter and where there's where it's more impasto it's darker it's more of a printmaker way of making a painting i would say 
Yeah, because you're not using white to adjust the value of to, Yeah, I try paint. to avoid white as much you're, as possible. Yeah, you're using you're using the transparency of the paint and then that white background. Then when I do use the opaque colors, it kind of creates a nice contrast to the transparent colors. So a lot of this, I haven't figured out a good way to do sky in transparent color. <clears throat> so that tends to be an opaque color of some sort. Right, because it's hard. Is it more difficult to control the chromatic intensity and the hue? Yeah, <clears throat> and the value is hard to control. I don't, it's, it's a little hard to explain. The sky needs to be really smooth, like a nice gradient to be, to feel right. Right, right. Yeah, because they're rather representational paintings. Yeah. Even though they're very vibrant and brushy, and there's like a lot of super active mark making, kind of mm -hmm. like Van Gogh. Yeah. At times, are there are there artists that you're thinking about when you're thinking of? Like stuff like that, do you think, or is like Van Gogh somebody that you look at? Yeah, or? sure. Yeah, I mean, actually, that one show I think we saw, we both saw it in Chicago, was that Monet. Uh, I don't know if you remember that they had a bunch of Monet. I think they were haystacks, yeah. just all in one big room. Yeah, like, I don't know if there were twenty of them or. Yeah, there was. I bet there were twenty at least. So that's something I think about too, is like creating a specific atmosphere to to each painting that may may or may not be realistic but has its own logic in the painting yeah that totally makes sense seeing all those monet paintings next to each other you can really see how or you can try to guess at like how he might be thinking about one thing to the next and that happens here sitting with these paintings around us because it is a lot of the same motifs of like water, and no two of them are really that similar that I would say that that's like a, a diptych or something. Right, or, right. Or this is a series within the series. Or Yeah. I do, yeah, I don't have any of those up, but I do like that orange one that's framed there. Mm. That's like the third version of that painting that I've done. So I do like if I find something that's interesting, like that was uh, those really smoky days on the lake. So mm. all the color was super orange and nice, very weird. Yeah, we've been getting the uh, smoke from the Canadian forest fires. Yeah, and this was like two years ago, but it was similar to that. Those really smoky days yeah. it really creates an atmospheric perspective, mm -hmm. and that's really strong. And and I really. Another thing that I've always noticed about how you work is it's like you, you put the paint down and then you scrape it back. Yep. Or a, a lot of that kind of. Yeah. With... That's like a lot closer to the abstract stuff I was doing with scrapers and squeegees and stuff like that. Yeah. But it actually turns out to be a good way to paint the reverse of the landscape on top and then scrape it away and yeah. it kind of automatically... <laughs> And enough of it, it stains like the gesso yeah, underneath. Because yeah. you're using that gesso, the white, to control the value of the, right. uh, of the paint. One, and also, too, a lot of those synthetic colors, like you mentioned in their mass tone, they're one color. Correct. And then yeah. when they're thin, they're something almost completely different sometimes. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like that Indian yellow is insane. Yeah. 
how yellow it is when it's thin and how orange it is when it's thick. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of those colors do that, which I like. It creates a little uncertainty. If you're painting with like a cobalt blue or something, it's just it's that color regardless of how you apply it. Well, okay, I'm taking notes. I'm going to be learning myself <laughs> and stealing ideas as I have all these years, pretty much everything. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny how uh, colors kind of bounce off each other in the studio. That happens pretty regularly. Well, I, I, I always, I think back years ago, I was um, using the silver paint in my paintings, and and I was thinking, oh, I'm copying Jeremy, and and because you were doing these portraits and oh, yeah. getting really abstract with these portraits, like layers and layers, and so the figure was almost completely obliterated. Yeah. And using a lot of metallic paints. Yeah. So I started to use the metallic paints, and then finally I felt kind of bad about it. My guilty conscience, you know, I have such a, I carry all this shame <laughs> with me <laughs> that I had to confess. <laughs> and then I'll never forget, I said something like, Jeremy, I'm, I'm, I'm totally stole the um, silver paint idea from you. And your reply was, oh, that's okay. I stole the can of actual spray paint <laughs> from you that you've yeah. been using. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So I was like, aha, touche. <laughs> <laughs> the worm has turned. Yep. Well, yeah, like how is it bridging? Because those abstract, those figures that you were making, those figurative paintings that you were making in like 2006, I want to say, right before you went to graduate school, they were very abstract. Like you could tell there was a person in there sometimes. Yeah. And then how is it that the figure just, was there a point where one painting got made that didn't have <laughs> a hint of a person in it? I, yes, I think, I think, yeah, I think that like I was, you know, it had become so distant from the figure that I was at some point I'm like, oh, I don't even need, why Why would I even do that anymore? Yeah. Or let's see what happens if I just take it out entirely. Right, if I let that arm just kind of, that's the only or thing left even, is a I silhouette. I mean, just not even, because I would start with a figure and then kind of gradually abstract it. Yeah. Um, but then I was like, I'm not even going to start with a figure. Let's just try right. it. Cool. Yeah, that's wild. I mean, it sounds... I don't know if you're listening out there. To me, you know, it's like we get to choose whatever we want to put into our paintings. But I don't know. You had painted figure, you had painted portraits and stuff for like a dozen yeah, years. Kind of in your, like in my mind, I'm like, oh, I'm a figure painter. Yes, I am a portrait painter. I'm but then after grad school, I was like, oh, I can do whatever I want. Yeah. So the which freedom. is really freeing. Yeah. Because you can. You know, it's good to change and grow and try new things. You know. Right. Yeah, because that the abstractions that you did, um, that have that took place for many years. And you, I mean, well, I wonder, like in with the abstract paintings, it was like you worked in a lot of the same ways that we've been describing, like by applying the paint, scraping it mm -hmm. off, and and your approach to color. But then it was like variation on variation on variation. Right. And I see that happening in the, these landscapes as well, even though they're all not seemingly like, I don't know where I'm going with this. 
they do feel like a variation on one thing over and over and over. Yeah. And I think I'm like, this feels, they feel very early in the process. Like I haven't really figured out what I'm, what I'm doing with them yet. If Hmm. that makes sense. Yeah. What is that? Like, and I felt like with the abstractions, they reached a point where I was just like, uh, this is starting to feel repetitive and like kind of decorative in a way, you know, where it doesn't Mm. have, I don't know, it doesn't have some sort of structure or. Yeah. Or the spontaneity of the earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Like the surprise of, yeah. Oh, I didn't expect that to happen. Yeah. Huh. And so these. Or it didn't have like a, uh, like an outward looking, like the landscapes I'm observing something and kind of transforming that. Yeah. Or the abstracts, I was just kind of doing stuff. Yeah, yeah. Which is good, but I just kind of hit a wall with it. That's interesting. It's funny because another, well, I don't know if it's funny, but because like my whole thing for many years was being a landscape painter. Right. <laughs> I totally stole it from him. <laughs> <laughs> and now I've just been working abstractly. Um and getting even more and more abstract. Yeah. Like the last painting I made was just a bunch of dots. <laughs> yeah. And I've done that a bunch, actually. Yeah. And yet, well, I remember, I remember kind of wanting to stop painting landscapes because I, when I was in the height of my landscape period, <laughs> Which, <laughs> like, like that is not a thing. <laughs> the height of your powers. Uh, yeah. Well, doing these big murals, like yeah. we worked together on a oh, lot yeah. of these murals, and a lot of them were landscapes, yeah. and or had landscape element to them. And um, I just kind of remember feeling trapped because I couldn't. Part of my deal that I struggle with is not being able to turn off my brain. And just let things be, you know. So, like, when I was driving through the countryside, I would find myself thinking, oh, that'd make a nice painting. Right. Oh, that, so would that, so would that, so would that. And it started to get to me because it was like, I don't, I think, I don't think I was really experiencing the drive through the country then. Right. I was always scheming. Scheming to paint something. Yeah. Yeah. And I, so that kind of drove me away from it. Huh. I've noticed that it's a lot nicer just to walk around and just look at stuff yeah. rather than always be asking myself if it could be a good painting. Right. Um, and I can kind of turn that on and off or just like sometimes I'm looking for painting stuff and yeah. sometimes I'm just walking. But then there's times like when you're, when you're seeing that, that that orange light that was in the air that day that we talked you talked about in that one painting where you're just like oh my gosh this is yeah this exactly. is, a, this is in- insane I've got to get my paints and try to paint this thing yeah yeah exactly and that's like super exciting yeah at that especially like at that moment because you know what if what if it changes what if it gets cloudy and all of a sudden all <laughs> those colors go away <laughs> yeah, right my fascination with a lot of this is. I don't know the different genres of painting, but also like where they bleed together and overlap, and then are they really that different anyway? Yeah. Well, I don't know if I've always thought this, but like subject matter is kind of really unimportant. Yeah. If in the way I the things I look at in art, I mean, for some people, I'm sure it is. Yeah, totally. 
have this really grand subject matter like the raft of the medusa or something yeah and that can be as interesting as like the guy moriandi who did those bottles yeah that were just like super simple super basic kind of all the same colors and yeah and he painted those for years yeah and they're incredible yeah i showed them to a class last semester well one thing one thing i remember years ago um, we were working in the studio and I was painting a, a canvas white. I was just putting the primer on and I remember looking over at you and saying, how the hell can this be like so exciting? You know, like <laughs> yeah. I, I came in here feeling kind of miserable and all of a sudden the second I start moving that paint around. Yeah. I've always loved that part of making art is like building stretchers and priming. Yeah. There must be something, I don't know, primal about just painting something <laughs> yeah you just had a piece of wood or some canvas and then the paint is all in tubes so that's almost like the same thing and you got to squeeze it out of the tubes and put it in the right order yep <laughs> and then at the end it is there's an aesthetic kind of experience of like kind of cognitively seeing that i'm looking at some trees but the color is so dominant well, maybe there's a question there, like, is it a question of, like, dominance in terms of, like, what's the first hit that you get, you know? Like, right. is it the tree or is it the color yellow of the... Yeah, I like it. I kind of like it when first thing you see, you, it's that landscape, that specific place. It immediately starts to break down colors and marks and deconstructs itself and then puts itself back together if that makes sense and kind of depending on how far away you are from the canvas right because there's definitely color combinations that you wouldn't necessarily find in nature oh for sure well and a lot of that synthetic paint is is very synthetic oh yeah it's not natural looking yeah totally and so it doesn't lend itself necessarily um, all the time to like phthalo green Unless you do something with it. I've never found a leaf out there no, that was a perfect match. No, not at all. <laughs> for phthalo green. <laughs> it, I do use it for mixing black, like with like a red, like naphthol red or uh, yeah. perylene red. That makes a really nice black. Yeah. Is it black, black, or just or dark? It's red? like, it depends. I think it technically mixes to like a blue. Yeah. But it's so... That's what I was picturing. But So it's like a bluish black. Yeah. A green and a red that mixed to blue. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to our world. <laughs> well, they both have blue in them. So the green... Right. I bet the green is canceling out the magenta that's in the perylene red. And then we're just left with the blue wavelengths getting out of there, the short wavelengths. Oh. Because the other two are neutralizing. Uh, yes, this is a color theory podcast. <laughs> we'll never know. <laughs> we'll never know. Well, yeah, this is great. Oh, one other thing we I was remembering when I was thinking about doing the, this interview. It's like in our mural painting, we had kind of come up with a system where we'd always be like mixing colors on the palette so there'd never be like a pure color yeah. and i think that's really kind of a big part of these paintings too 
where it's like I have these little yogurt container lids. My colors are in there, and I'm kind of always kind of mixing and painting on wet paint. And so there's nothing really clean or pure about the Yeah, straight out of the tube, unbroken or whatever they call it. Well, and so you, and you're mixing the colors with your brush as opposed to a palette knife. Right. Yeah, I mean, I'm doing both, like mixing yeah. colors on the palette and then transferring them to the yogurt container and then mixing them on there with the brush. That makes a lot of sense because a lot of the brush marks that you can see are, it looks like there was more than one color on the, on the brush yeah. the way it came out, which I always loved about going back to Van Gogh at the MIA, the Minneapolis Institute of Art, they have a, a Van Gogh. And in part of the, the trees that he's painting, it's an olive of, um, oh, orchard, yeah. I yeah. think. Yeah, I know. And there's a sequence where he had this kind of like permanent green on his brush, but he was painting over a yellow uh, background. And, it start, and you can see how his hand moved and it got progressively more yellow until finally he probably was like, oh, that's that's too yellow now. I yeah, gotta stop. I love I love when that sort of stuff happens. Yeah, I think it's more natural. If you're looking at a landscape, there's all this stuff going on, and none of it is stable. Right. You know, there's not like, you know, it's kind of constantly moving and shift. The light is kind of constantly shifting. Yeah, totally. Because the leaves are kind of shiny, so they're fl- you know flashing white and green. Yeah. That could be why we started painting those murals like that. And just to, yeah, give you guys a, an idea, we, we, paint, we use like house paint um, kind of paint, like Nova Color is a company, and Sherwin-Williams we've used a lot. And we use um, court, like cottage cheese containers, a good friend, a pair of people are ravenous <laughs> cottage cheese yeah, a lot of cottage and cheese. yogurt <laughs> eaters. Yeah. And they're like the greatest people in the world. <laughs> and so they bring over grocery bags of these things, hundreds of them every once in a while. But so, okay, so like imagine like we pour all the paint into these things and then I, I remember being able to hold like six or seven of them, cradling them in my arm and then just have one brush and basically paint for four or five hours without stopping except for to fill up the yeah. containers. And so you're doing that here. Right, because nature, yeah, it's ever-changing. And, and um, so to capture that, which if I'm working on my glass palette and I've got my palette knife, you know, it's easy to make a color or a blend of colors, yeah. but that incredible, spontaneous mm-hmm. generation of, like a whole palette, essentially, um, all in one little yeah. lid. Yep, one lid. One lid to rule them all. <laughs> yes, <laughs> the one lid. Yeah, do you have a favorite uh, yogurt container lid that you keep Well, the Greek gods. To? The Greek gods. Although they've changed it to black plastic now, so it's, oh, it's mm, less uh, user-friendly. That's not good. Can't see the color as well. I could see why the Greek, the Greek god one, because it's a little bit bigger than the old yep. home lid. Yep. You get a little bit more paint on there. <laughs> <laughs> like by a fraction. <laughs> it all adds up, you know, if you're talking yep. decades of painting, that's yep. a lot of time exactly. filling up that lid <laughs> that you're saving. <laughs> all right, uh, we're back with Jeremy Shapinsky, first ever guest on Chromosphere, the Color Theory podcast. 
And uh, just rounding out the episode here, we're going to generate an artist statement for Jeremy uh, using ChatGTP. And um, so, yeah, how's that, Jeremy? Sounds great. That's good. I think it's ChatGPT. Oh, ChatGPT. Yep. What did I say? GTP. <laughs> okay. That's like the poor man's chat G- GPT. Yes, I just invented a whole new AI system that's someday going to imprison us all. Um, all right. Uh, okay, so I have, I've downloaded chat GPT from the Apple Store, App Store, and it's pretty basic here. So I'm going to type in here... Um, uh, write an artist statement for Jeremy Shapinsky. Jeremy is a abstract landscape painter. Yes. Abstract ab. See if I can remember how to spell anything. Landscape painter. All right. I really hate writing artist statements, so I'm really hopeful that this is going to be really help me out. Yep, it is. Okay. It's done. Chat GTP writes, certainly, exclamation point. Here's an artist statement for Jeremy Shapinsky, an abstract landscape painter. Then there's a space, then the heading, artist statement for Jeremy Shapinsky. My art, (laughs) oh God, (laughs) this is gonna be tough. Okay. (laughs) All right, keep it together, dial it back. Okay, calm down, just read. My art is a journey. (laughs) Okay. You know, we're all terrified of writing pretentious artist statements. (laughs) It's what is Chad GDP. Okay. All right. (laughs) All right. Okay. My art is a journey into the soul of the natural world. An exploration of landscapes not by not bound by the constraints of reality. Through the medium of abstract painting, I aim to capture the essence, energy, and emotion that nature invokes within us. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah. Okay, another paragraph. In my work, I reinterpret familiar landscapes both serene and rugged using a lands using a language of abstraction i embrace the bold brush strokes vibrant colors and dynamic compositions to convey they cribbed that off my actual artist statement oh that's on your actual artist statement i think so it looked you up yeah I embrace the bold brushstrokes, vibrant colors, and dynamic compositions to convey their ever-shifting moods and atmospheres of the places that inspire me. So that's from your artist statement? Uh, some of the wording Paraphrase. is, wow. is stolen. Yeah. 
well, that's kind of weird because when I asked it to to uh, write an artist statement for Ed Charbonneau, it said that it didn't have any idea who I was <laughs> and needed more information. <laughs> now I feel kind of left out. Or, <laughs> like the monster doesn't know, oh, wait, maybe that's a good, maybe that, okay. Yeah, well. well, there's more. Okay. Oh. Um, there's a lot more. Nature. Should have limited the the amount of words. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, maybe but. like two words. <laughs> yeah. um, nature, with its infinite complexity, provides an endless source of inspiration. My paintings are not just representations of the external world, but also a reflection of my internal dialogue with these landscapes. Each stroke is a conversation between my inner self <laughs> and the external environment. Wow. <laughs> a dialogue where emotions are translated into color, texture, and form. I invite viewers to join me on this journey of exploration <laughs> and introspection. My... My abstract landscapes are an invitation to see beyond the surface, to immense, to immerse oneself in the raw beauty and mystery of nature. Through this visual language of abstraction, I hope to invo evoke a sense of wonder, connection, and contemplation, dash, a reminder of the profound impact that the natural world has on our lives. Ultimately, my art is a celebration of the infinite beauty that surrounds us, a reminder to pause, breathe, and appreciate the world's unending capacity to inspire and nourish our souls. And that's it. And then it says, wow. feel free to adjust this statement to better align with Jeremy Sapinski's specific artistic vision and style if necessary. Yeah, it's not super specific. Right. Yeah, it doesn't really yeah. hit on anything. Yeah. Wow, but I mean it's it's not I mean Yeah, it's not terrible. It's I've, not. Seen, I've seen worse, that's for sure. Totally. Yeah, <laughs> I've written much worse. <laughs> well mine okay, I yeah, though so I said I I tested it on me first and I wrote um uh, whatchamacallit, I wrote, write an artist statement for Ed Charbonneau, and it wrote back, I'm sorry, but I don't have specific information about Ed Charbonneau. <laughs> but uh, then I put in, it asked for more information, so I wrote dot paintings. And uh, I won't read this whole thing, I don't think, but it starts off, my art is a vibrant symphony of dots, a celebration of color, culture, and connection. Through the, yeah, so it just keeps wow. going on. <laughs> so, well, well, I'll there still you have go. To keep writing them, I guess. Got to keep, yeah. Well, maybe you could plagiarize this like it plagiarized you. Yeah, that's a good idea. Full circle. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right. Well, there you go. All everybody out there, um, get ChatGPT or whatever it's called, and have it write all your writing. <laughs> All right. Well, um, well, this has been great talking. Oh, it's been really fun. And it's uh, a lot easier than I thought it'd be. Yeah, I, <laughs> I was a little nervous. I was too. I kept thinking, like, I have to have a plan. My mom was like, she gave me, well, 
she gave me she gave me three pointers, <laughs> and the first one was have an outline. <laughs> so well, we'll see. we immediately didn't do that, Hopefully. and I can't remember what the other ones were. So we probably <laughs> didn't do those either. So I'm zero for three or three for zero or whatever. However, I'm not a sports guy. This is not a sports <laughs> podcast. Well, thank you for being uh, the first ever guest. Oh, it's very exciting. Yeah, this is like what I imagine it is feels like to be on Fresh Air. Yeah. With Terry Gross. You're like the Terry Gross of interviewing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, uh, yeah, I need to replay, repay the compliment somehow. Uh, you're the... <laughs> You're the Gerhard Richter of uh, landscape painting <laughs> <laughs> and abstractions and portraiture. <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> Thanks uh, again, Jeremy, for being on the podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, super fun. And thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please share it with your friends and family who may be interested and follow Chromosphere color theory podcast on facebook and instagram we'd love to hear from you if you have comments or suggestions i'd like to thank jeremy shapinski for writing and performing the theme music thank you also to grant winkles Susie manili and jeremy shapinski again for their production consulting and editing